So if you have your Bibles, it may take you a while to find this book tucked way back in the Old Testament. The book of Lamentations is where we'll be in a moment. Um, we've been talking about being at the end of our rope. If you're first time with us, we're about halfway through the series uh, at this point. And in fact, we are halfway through the series. And I feel like as if we have been caught up in the mire, in the muck of just the reality and trying to get a biblical worldview perspective on pain and suffering that we may go through. The why, the what, things like that. In that, though, we've not given much of an answer or an antidote to the pain. And I've, I've said up front, I'm, listen, I'm not a blab it and grab it, name it, came it, kind of pastor. I, I mean, the reality is that you can't just speak over ill and you can't just speak over evil and you can't just speak over, over, over pain and just go away. I mean, that's just not a reality. Uh, it's another reality that I, that I have seen. God does take away pain at times, but sometimes he turns up the pain. Now, how is it that we deal with this pain? And I shared a quote from you, uh, with you last week. I want to share it again because I think it's so powerful. Probably the central uh, number one quote that I have for the entire series is this by Larry Crabb. And I want to zero in on one phrase. People who find some way to deaden their pain never discover their desire for God in all its fullness. That is a powerful statement. When we deaden our pain, we many times shortcut what God may be trying to draw us in, bring us in, so that we would really understand God in all his fullness. They rather live for relief and become addicts to whatever provides it. The function of pain to carry us into the inner recesses. The function of pain is to carry us into the inner recesses of our being that once God. I want us to understand that one of the reasons for pain is to carry us into some dark spots of our lives that maybe have not acknowledged God, maybe have not reflected on God, maybe have not sought after God into the inner recesses of our being that we might long for God in our pain, not just long for God to escape our pain. How does God show up in pain? How does he show up in injustice? How does he show up in suffering? How does he show up in a, in a cancer diagnosis? How does he show up in a job loss? How does he show up in a broken relationship? How does he show up in broken trust? How does he show up? God's antidote to pain is hope. He provides hope. He didn't always provide the answers. He doesn't always provide the cure. Because sometimes you don't have a cure. Sometimes you have to live with it. But what God can do is he can step into a situation, step into our life, and he can provide hope. And hope alone can give us just enough energy, maybe not to make it for a month. Maybe we're wanting the answers for all of life's issues or the big issues that are in front of us. But maybe it's just for today. But maybe today is all you need. And when you wake up tomorrow, maybe you'll need it again, and he'll give you just enough hope to make it through that day. And where you literally have to train yourself to not think six months, five-year plan, you have to live in the day, in that moment, even with that pain. The darkest days in Israel's history, I will espouse today, is not what you might think when you, when you survey in your minds the history of the Old Testament. 
You think of the 40 years of desert wandering in the wilderness and Moses and the people of Israel in that wandering period of time. You might certainly think that that would be a very, 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 very dark period of time. And I would have to agree with you that it was very, very dark, but there's a darker period of time. And it's what the Bible is referred to as the exile. It's more than 40 years and it's far more deadly and disastrous than the 40 years that they wandered in a desert. They were not established in a country. They did not have homes. They did not have their lives established. But when the exile came, everything that they knew, everything that they had worked for, everything that they had lived for, everything that had been passed down from generation to generation is now absolutely put into a blender and turned upside down on them. And if you find the book of Lamentations, you'll find the book of Isaiah, Jeremiah, and then immediately after that, you'll find five little chapters stuck back in the middle there. You'll find the book of Lamentations. Walter Kaiser, I'll draw a lot from him today. He's probably the the predominant Old Testament professor that I've ever studied uh, from. But he said this, he said, no book in the Bible is more an orphan than the book of Lamentations. And I thought, yes, it's true. I've never heard anybody say, hey, come to my Bible study that we're going to have on lamenting. It sounds like a real page turner, doesn't it? Let's talk about death and let's have fun with it. You know, forgive me, unless the coffee's really good, I'm not going to show up. Warren Wiersbe said this, the book of Lamentations, which is also, uh, which he also wrote, uh, Jeremiah, he refers to, has tears stained on almost every page and in every verse. Now we've talked about, and we're going to talk about in the days ahead, some dark days. We're going to talk about Ruth last week and Ruth and what she and Naomi went through in that dark period of time. Next week, I've given a little soft I've given the book of Job to Lori. She's going to teach from the book of Job next week. Psalm, uh, the book of Psalms has two-thirds of the book of Psalms are lament psalms. Laments. Just grieving, crying out to God. You want to read a couple of those? Read Psalm 44, Psalm 80, just as an example of two-thirds of the book of Psalms that we typically associate with worship psalms. They're lament psalms. Jesus is called a man of sorrows. So here we have it, and throughout scriptures, this dark, painful reality. But as we look at the book of Lamentations today, we're going to look at all five chapters, but really quickly, we're going to zero into the epicenter of the book of Lamentations. But you've got to kind of understand Hebrew poetry for just a moment to understand where it's going. It's in this chiastic form of poetry where it kind of starts off here and it ramps up and then it goes back down. In fact, we have kind of a diagram of it. It's got like one, two chapters are kind of dark and dingy and mournful. And then you got chapter four and chapter five, dark, dingy, mournful. But right in the middle, there's this little section. And again, in Hebrew poetry, you kind of have to got to understand a little bit of Hebrew poetry here because he starts dark and he ends dark. But here in the middle, right in the middle of it, there's some light. There's some hope. There's some promise. Now, you've got to understand a little bit of the attitude that was going on in that day. And the attitude of that day was basically that they just did what they wanted to do. It says in chapter 1, verse 5, it says it like this. It says, she took no thought of her future. Remember last week when I read from Judges and how Judges, they did what was right in their own eyes? Well, the time of Jeremiah and the people of that day and age, they were basically giving no thought for tomorrow. They were giving no thought for the future. They were just living 
Living in the moment, living it up in the moment. They didn't, they didn't think about the repercussions of the decisions they were making today that they may have ramifications on their life tomorrow. They were just living in the moment. And all of a sudden, the moment catches up with them. And it happens to them in 587 B.C. What starts to be, again, I want to say, the darkest period in all of the Hebrews' people's lives. When the, Babylons move, the Babylonians move in, they take over, they take the land, they take their riches, they take their wealth, they begin to plunder the land, they begin to do ravage everything about them, they begin to suppress them, they take the, the brains back to Babylon, which is modern-day Iraq, and they begin to, to, to make them slaves. And literally it says in chapter 1, verse 1, it says, Princesses among the provinces have become slaves. Now, I'm having to give you this history because I want you to get into, as best you can, into the dark, painful reality that all of a sudden they wake up and at their door are the Babylonians and at their, at their temple, raping their temple, at the, it just, it's all being pillaged right in front of them. But again, just to kind of give you the grotesque element, this is recorded, by the way, four different times in the Old Testament. In Second Chronicles and Kings, it's also recorded in Jeremiah chapter 39 and in Jeremiah chapter 52. This exile that happens is painful. One of the products that comes out of this exile is war and genocide. In case you don't understand what I mean genocide, I mean in its most grossest ideas and realities. Cannibalism was going on at that time. This is what, again, Walter Kaiser said. He said, desperate scenes of starvation as women fighting over whose child was to be eaten next. Women raped in Zion and the princes hung by their hands in in public execution. That was what was going on in Israel. You talk about pain. We talk about Ruth last week. That was a localized family painful moment whenever she has to bury her husband or two sons in a foreign land. How dark and painful that is. This is a national pain. It's permeating throughout the land. The darkness is there. The pain is there. I began to look back and further into the exile and and how many lives were lost. It's interesting when you compare what happened in the in the 20th century and, and what happened in the Holocaust and the darkness of that time and day and, and what happened in that time. Do you know how many people died in Auschwitz? Probably the most gruesome of all death camps. 1.1 million people died in one concentration camp. That's just to give it into perspective. Now, keep hanging on. We're going to keep developing a perspective here. The total Jews dying in the Holocaust, somewhere between 5.6 to 6.2 million Jews died in the Holocaust. How many people died in the exile? Again, according to Kaiser, a conservative estimate, 6 million. So we have a Holocaust happening before the Holocaust where cannibalism is going on and people are hanging in the public squares to their execution. This is a very dark and painful period of time. All of a sudden, everything that they knew about their life was turned upside down. The temple, it was a, it was a source of identity and identification. It was Solomon's temple. It was beautiful. It, it was worth billions of dollars. 
But yet they took out the gold and they took out the wealth and they took out the artifacts and they burned it and destroyed it and pillaged it. This is what Lamentations, how it describes it in chapter 2. The Lord has rejected His own altar. He despises His own sanctuary. He has given Jerusalem palaces to our enemies. They shout in the Lord's temple as though it were a day of celebration. Her law has ceased to exist. Her prophets receive no vision from the Lord. This is a very depressing day that they're living. They felt abandoned by God. It felt as if God had abandoned them. The last verse in Lamentations, the last verse is really kind of this cry out to God. God, restore. God, renew. God, God, bring us back to where we used to be. And some of y'all right now are looking at a relationship. You say, oh, God, I'm sorry. I took it for granted. God, would you restore it? You're looking at a job. Oh, God, I took that job for granted. God, would you restore it? Or your kids have wandered. God, would you bring them back? God, if you, do you even hear me praying? I'm, I'm in desperation. And you find this voice inside of Jeremiah as he cries out to God in chapter 5, verse 22, the last verse. Renew our days as old and less and less and less. You've utterly rejected us and you remain exceedingly angry with us. Do you hear the pain of his soul? Do you feel it? Can you vicariously switch out your life in any way, shape, or form with those and what they're going through? Go to Lamentations chapter 3 where we will focus today. Verse 17 and 18, I think, gets us down to the emotion of it. Gets us down to the spreadsheet of their life and where it's adding up and computing out as. It says in verse 17, My soul bereft, basically deprived, is deprived of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So is my endurance has perished. And circle this last phrase if you have a Bible. So that my hope, so has my hope from the Lord. There's no peace. There's no happiness. There's no strength. There's no hope. This is a very dreadful moment. And here we come, and I said that, 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 that this, this Hebrew poetry, this chiastic poetry, kind of builds to this crescendo of a, of a statement of, of something in this darkness. You might just say, hey, just slit your throat. Hey, just give up. Just throw in the towel. It's all over. You're finished and done. There's no hope. Your hope is gone. Your strength is gone. Your happiness is forgotten. I forgot what it means to be happy. This is the way... Eugene Peterson puts it in the message. He says, I gave up on life altogether. I have forgotten what the good life is like. I said to myself, this is it. I'm finished. 
God is a lost cause. For some of you, if you were to write out your emotions and your feelings and your thoughts, you might equally say, God's a lost cause. Life is not worth it. Why am I even here? But I want to read the next verse. Because this is the crescendo. This is the epic. This is the summit. This is the top. This is the pinnacle. Everything that he says before, everything that he says after is pointing back to this one point in this passage. Verse 18. So, uh, so has my hope from the Lord. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it. I haven't forgotten it. I hope you haven't forgotten the pain that I'm in. He says, and it bowed down within me. But, but, circle the word but. But this I call to mind. This I remind myself of. This I, I put an anchor in the ground and I, and despite the storms that are going on, I will not let this go away. This I remember I called to mind and therefore I have hope. He lost hope, but hey, listen, I have somehow in the recesses of my soul been able to resurrect, been able to uncover, been able to bring back a glimmer of hope, some hope that will get me through at least one more day. And this word hope in the Hebrew is yahal, and it has the idea of having substantive hope. It's not just hope in thin air, hope that it will get better, hope in a positive attitude, but hope in something of substance. It says, I have hope. Let's keep reading. The steadfast love of our Lord never ceases. This is what his hope's built on. This is the substance of his hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Would you say that last phrase with me? Therefore, I will hope in him. Now, for some of you, that's mind over matter right now. For some of you, that's just black ink on a, on a screen right now. But I hope you will see today that in this whole, this whole chaotic world in which we live, that's up and down and sometimes more down than up, that somehow there can be hope in him, not just hope and hope, and not just hope in tomorrow, not just hope that it'll get better, because it may not get better. That's the sad thing. But you can have hope in him. And somehow that hope in him is going to help you be sustained throughout life. So I want to talk about how God is, if the antidote to our pain, okay, let's do it in order here. The antidote to our pain is hope and our hope is in him, then let's look at how he is going to bring hope to our painful circumstances, all right? Number one avenue that he's going to bring hope to our painful circumstances is his steadfast love never ceases. His love doesn't end. It keeps going and going. Have you ever noticed about pain? It isolates us. It makes us feel isolated. Sometimes it does isolate us. It makes us feel as if nobody in the world cares. It makes us feel as if nobody in the world hurts like I hurt. 
It makes us feel as if nobody in the world can ever understand what I'm going through. So when somebody comes up to you and they say, hey, listen, I understand. I, I lost my dog once and you just lost your child or you just lost some. No, no, you don't understand. It makes us feel as if we are all alone. And I wish today I could say your pain's going to go away. I wish I could refer back to Second Corinthians and say your thorn is going to go away. But sometimes it's just not going to go away. But what God does in these painful moments is here we need to understand this. As A.C. Pearson said, disappointments are his appointments. It is whenever we're in that painful moment that we can anticipate that God may show up. God will show up if we are in a relationship with God because my hope is in him. That's where my hope is in. It's in him. It's not in is not in an optimistic attitude out there. It's in him. And so God now shows up in my life. What we have to do is we have to check our sight. And we might need to develop a better eyesight for God and how he shows up. Because what we want is full restoration, things back like they used to be, not walking with a limp, not living with a limp, not living with the scars of, of whatever this painful thing is, this abuse that happened way, 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 way back then. We don't want that. We want to be free. But the reality is we're not. But what we can hope for is that His love that never ceases will be there and that we will see it. We will somehow glimpse it. You remember Naomi last week? I remember I came to a a word, a particular Hebrew word. I said, I'm not going to tell you about it this week. I want to tell you about it next week. And now it's next week. Naomi saw after she buries her son, two sons and her husband in the land of Moab. In a foreign land, already running away from famine. So bad on bad on bad on bad. Pain on pain on pain on pain. She comes home with her, her widow daughter-in-law, Ruth, sends Ruth out to find a source of food and maybe somebody will employ her, maybe somebody will. It's barley season. She goes and she works one day and gets five days worth of food. And in that moment, it was so small. It was only five days. It wasn't a lifetime of healing. It wasn't forever taking care. But it was five days. And Boaz comes on the scene. And all of a sudden, what does, what does Naomi say to Ruth? She introduces her to the God who love never ceases. She saw through the darkness. She saw through the pain that there was a glimmer. There was a hope that there was a God and that he still cared. Able to see through that. Verse 22, that first part says, his steadfast love. The word there is, in the Hebrew, is the Hebrew word hesed. And it's the idea of such an endearing kind of love that, listen to this, the Hebrew language not always like this, but it's so power-packed word that there's no one word in the English that can control and contain and can express everything in that one Hebrew word. So they have to use two English words to cover it. It's steadfast love. It's loving kindness in other translations. It's good-heartedness. So what, what Naomi saw that she pointed out to Ruth and what we need to see in our life, if, if it's just for a glimmer, if it's only for five days, if it's only for five hours, if it's only for five minutes, if we can just look and see 
a little bit. God's still there. He's still loving. He's still providing. 250 times this word shows up in the Old Testament. Let me give you a couple more examples of them. Psalm 86, verse 15. But you, O Lord, are a God a, mer- a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast hesed and faithfulness. We're going to come back to that word faithfulness in a moment. But here's another one. Psalm 103, verse 4. Who redeems your life from the pit. Need I remind you of a sermon a message that Lori gave a few months ago, how he redeems our life from the pit, who crowns you with a steadfast, chesed love and mercy. We'll come back to that word mercy. I went through a very dark season in my life, and some of y'all know about it, a few months ago. Well, there were times in my life I didn't think I was even to be loved again. Felt loved. Would even love myself. And I can remember listening to a certain praise song that he's a good, good father. He's a good, good father. And that his steadfast love will endure forever. His love never ends. And when you feel unloved, His love never ends. And when you feel alone, His love is still there. Look for it. I heard this phrase a long time ago. There's nothing I can do to make God love me anymore and there's nothing I can do to make Him love me any less. Don't forget that. That's His steadfast love. It never ends. Number two, what's the avenue of His hope coming from Him? His avenue of His hope comes through His mercies. His mercies that are sufficient. His mercies that are there. You think, okay, Mike, I get it. I I know the gospel. I know Jesus goes and he dies on the cross. And I know the power of that and the beauty of that. And that promises us life and it shows us his love. But listen, you don't know the pain I'm in. You don't know the hurt I'm in. You don't know the betrayal I'm in. You don't know what I'm dealing with deep inside my soul. People around me don't even know. They just know it hurts. And if God doesn't show up some way, I'm like the Lamentations. Is life really worth it? And I want to say, listen, his mercies, his mercies, his mercies are there. His love is there. It never ceases. But his mercies are also there. For for the person who's going through physical pain, listen, I I don't like physical pain. What do I do? I grab ibuprofen. I say, how many of these can I have? How many can I have and still live? Because I am averse to pain, all right? And so I'm, I'm literally counting them out. And measuring them out, thinking, how many can I have? And there are limits. Because here the reality is, is that all that ibuprofen does is mask the reality of the pain that's still in there for a few hours. When I'm discouraged, I want to go to a movie. I want to escape my life and get into a dark room for a couple of hours and hopefully find some other life to live in vicariously. When I get depressed, get rid of all the potato chips in the house. Because I will if you don't. 
when I get depressed, I go to food. And sometimes when, we, when we're going through whatever the pains that we're going through, we might try to find that antidote and, again, miss what God wants to do in that pain. And so what we'll pray is, God, take away the pain. God, take away the pain. God, take away the pain. And what we might should change our prayers to, God, take away the pain. But if you don't take away the pain, would you at least give me the mercies enough to endure it? Take away the pain, but Lord, if you don't, give me the mercies enough that I might endure it. See, God doesn't promise to protect us from trials, but to protect us in trials. They're not there to work against us. They're there to work for us. Those who deal with infertility in this room right now struggle to walk through Walmart by the diaper section or to get another Facebook notification of somebody's expectancy is right around the corner. Those who deal with chronic pain, we, we see them, we look at them, we go right on past them, but their pain is, 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 is wearing on them. How do we deal with this? How does God help us deal with this? Verse 22, his steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercy, circle the word mercies, never come to an end. They are new every morning. This is probably one of the biggest promises of Scripture that you need to claim in your life. Instead of going to your quick fix, instead of going to your antidote, instead of coming to your bottle of pills or your bottle of, to drink, or instead of getting your credit card out and go shopping or going grabbing all the chips in the house, instead of doing that, let's turn and let's say, okay, God, this is the pain that I'm living in. Would you help me, help me, help me, help me live with it? And here's the great thing about his mercies. His mercy is infinite. Infinite. Notice that he says it never comes to an end. You'll never out pain the mercies of God. You'll never out hurt the mercies of God. You'll never outlive. Listen, God will always, you hear people say this. There's not a verse in the Bible that says this. I'm going to give you the closest one to it so you can kind of jot it down. That God will never put on us more than we can handle. It's not exactly how it says it, so let me read to you exactly how it says it. You jot it down. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation. By the way, this is the same Greek word we referred to a few weeks ago in James chapter 1, pyrosmos. No pyrosmos is going to overtake you, overtaking you that has not as common to man. Listen, there's other people in this room. This is why I say don't waste a pain. Because you've experienced a pain that this person on this side of the room is experiencing right now. And if you could ever get with them, then you might be able to help them deal with the pain in their life. It's common to man. God is faithful and he will not let us be tempted beyond your abilities. But with temptation, he will also provide a way of escape. That you may be able to endure it. Listen, his mercies. His mercies, they never come to an end. They're infinite. Number two, they're fresh. It's like fresh bread. It's like waking up every morning to fresh bread baking in the house. They're new every morning. They're new every morning. 
That means if I spend all the mercies of God that he had for me that day, of which we know is already infinite, that, that, that I think there's no way that I can survive another day like this. Guess what? In a relationship, oh, don't miss this. Please don't miss this. In a relationship with God Almighty, there will be enough mercy tomorrow. And you know what? When you spend it all that day and you don't think I can live another day, I can't deal with these kids another day, I can't deal with this pain another day, I can't deal with this loss another day, guess what? Tomorrow there's going to be enough mercies. If hope is your antidote and you're getting it from Dr. God. Lamentations will yield very few, if any, abstract philosophical answers to the problems of suffering. Nevertheless, it will lead us into some very serious practical theological reflections on the purposes that result of suffering. Instead of explaining pain, it helps us face grief helps us face it every day. Listen, again, I wish I could say that, listen, you take this pill and you're going to have five full days of freedom from pain. You, you move your family from here to here, that pain won't follow you. It will. It'll resurrect itself in some other kind of way. It might very well be with you for the rest of your life. And listen, it's not just that God, would you heal me, but God, would you give me enough mercies? to make it through this day. And tomorrow, enough mercies to make it through this day. You know what? He never told us to pray for, uh, for a 401k. Did he? He ever tell us to pray that we could retire in Boca Raton, Florida. God, give me that beach home and I'll retire. Now, he, never, he said, pray for daily bread. Just enough bread for today. Just enough mercies for today. See, we might need to change our prayer life a little bit. There was a Confederate soldier who found a, a prayer. They, in his death, they found a prayer pinned, and it was in a piece of paper, and it was stuck in his pocket, and they found it on his body. And this was the prayer that he had written. It says, I ask God for strength that I might achieve. I was made weak that I might learn humbly to obey. I ask for health that I might do greater things. I was given infirmity that I might do better things. I ask for riches that I might be happy. I was given poverty that I might be wise. I ask for power that I might have the praises of men. But I was given weakness that I might feel the need of God. I was given, I ask all things that I might enjoy life. I was given life that I might enjoy all things. I got nothing that I asked for, but everything that I hoped for. Almost despite myself, my unspoken prayer were answered. I am among men most richly blessed. Your greatest blessing of God may be your pain. I don't say that lightly because I know pain stinks. But what is God trying to do in the recesses of your soul? What's he showing you about himself? His loving kindness that never fails. His mercies that never run out and that they're new every single morning. And finally, we get to know that hope when we experience his faithfulness never fails.
Just like the song, the old hymn that we sang, written by an uneducated teacher in Kentucky, and, and he was writing this song and this poem, written 1,200 poems, and this one becomes the published song, Great is Thy Faithfulness that we might learn of his faithfulness, that we might have to learn to wait on him, find hope in him. And that's really, really hard. I know in the waiting, it's really hard. And you think, God, you're not faithful. Are you faithful? Are you still there? Are you going to be there? Can I trust you? We've all seen the trust falls. Can I trust and fall into your arms and you will be there? Lewis Smead said it like this, waiting is our destiny as creatures who cannot by themselves bring about what they hope for. We cannot bring about what we're hoping for. We wait in the darkness for a flame that we cannot light. We wait in fear for a happy ending that we cannot write. We wait for a not yet that feels like a not ever. Waiting is the hardest work of hope. And if we would learn for God to be our hope in the darkness, in the pain, in the suffering, then we will find that faithfulness. He will be there. His love will be there. His mercies will be there. He will be there. He will not leave us or forsake us. Verse 23, they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I was telling my life story to a group of men recently. I can, every time I come to this part of my story, I, I, I can't help but weep. I come to this part of this dark time whenever I'd built up all these little idols in my life and all this stuff of success. And then one by one, an idol would crumble. One by one, an idol would fall. One by one, and then all of a sudden, all my idols were gone. I can remember going in my bedroom, burying my face in the carpet and soaking the carpet with my tears. And I remember a song that came on and I to this day have it memorized. Lord, I'm really glad you're here. Lord, Lord, I'm really glad you're here. I hope you feel the same when you see all my fears and how I fell. I fall sometimes. It's hard to walk in shifting sand. I miss the mark and find I've nowhere left to stand. I start to cry. Lord, please help me raise my hand so you can lift me up. Hold me close. Hold me tighter. That song is still on my iPad today. It's an old, old song sung by Amy Grant. In fact, the very first words is, Lord, I'm really glad you're here because on that night, I didn't feel like anybody else was there, but I knew God was. Why did I know God was? Because I had a relationship with him and because he's faithful. When I am unfaithful, he is faithful. When I commit adultery against God, he is faithful. He didn't fail me. I failed him. He is faithful. I don't know where you're at in your life, in your soul. But I hope that God is the antidote to your, to your pain. Through hope that, 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 that he provides the hope and he's the reality because 
His love never fails because His mercies are new every morning. Great is His faithfulness. Do you know that God? Because if you don't, you're going it alone. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord Jesus, we pray. Lord Jesus, we pray that we will not miss you while we're looking for an antidote to our pain, while we're scavenging the world through positive mental thinking, through positive motivational readings, through conferences and talks and platitudes from friends and pats on the back that we substitute the reality of you in us. Substantive hope. You in us. You are part of us. You loving us. You providing mercy for us day in and day out. Even when we don't think we can live another day, your mercies will be new tomorrow morning. Because you're faithful because you're faithful. Lord Jesus, if there's anybody in this room that needs to know you today, needs to give their life to you today, Lord, I pray they'll step out and come. Lord, we're going we're to have deacons, we're going to have prayer partners, we're going to have people all around the room, across the front. You come to them. Lord, I pray that you will encourage them to come and give themselves fully to you. Lord, they don't have to do that, but Lord, I pray that they will today where they're at say, I am following you, Jesus, because you, you love me even when I don't love myself. Your mercies are there even when I don't have enough strength. Your faithfulness, your faithfulness, you will always be there even when the world bells on me. You never bounce on me, God. Thank you, Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? Would you sing with us? We're going to have some prayer partners around the room on the landing up there. You come. The Lord's leading you to come.